Starcourt Study Hall episodes contain spoilers for all seasons of Stranger Things. Episodes may also contain graphic content and language not suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The views and opinions expressed are those of the hosts unless otherwise stated, and all content and characters are property of Netflix and the Duffer Brothers. I'm Marina. And I'm Amanda. And And this this is Starcourt Study Hall. Welcome back, everyone. I hope you're all ready to talk about Stranger Things again. If you're not, you've probably taken a wrong turn somewhere on the internet. And you should check your (laughs) TomTom or your MapQuest printout of maps. (laughs) And you should probably reroute. Um, Anyway, so it's time to talk about the weirdo on Maple Street. You know, we spent the last episode, this is like two episodes ago, talking about the vanishing of Will Byers. And we, we promised you scene by scene breakdowns of these chapters which is exactly what you have asked for whether you realize that you've asked for it or not (laughs) that's what we are imposing upon your day today yes yes we are and this particular episode had a astonishing number of scenes once they were broken down so i'm really excited (laughs) to get into it (laughs) all right so this is the weirdo on maple street here's a quick summary This episode was written and directed by the Duffer Brothers, aired July 15th, 2016, much like the rest of the season. (laughs) Shocking. (laughs) All right, here's your Who are the Duffer Brothers? (laughs) So unlike them. Never heard of them. (laughs) Mike and Eleven make a connection, and she tries to explain where Will might be hiding. Jonathan pays a visit to his dad in Indianapolis. Hopper continues his search for Will, only finding questions about Hawkins' lab. And after finding his friend Benny dead, he questions whether he is cursed. Nancy, Barb, Steve, and the trash twins, Tommy and Carol, have have the world's smallest party at Steve's house, which ends one member smaller. You know, they're dating. They're not twins. I know, but they're just the worst. I wanted a cute name for them, the trash twins. Okay. <laughs> All right. So let's move into some fast facts for this episode. So uh, I, I found this in my research. One day during filming, Millie Bobby Brown, uh, she actually showed up covered in glitter to the set uh, from a craft that she had been doing the <laughs> night before. <laughs> Very fun. <laughs> and filming got delayed 30 minutes because of that oh. so that they could get all the glitter off. I would her. love to know their methods for glitter removal. Honestly, right? I know. Uh, but I just thought that was really cute because it's a fun little reminder that <laughs> they are, after all, children. They, they were children, yes. <laughs> little, little kids. Um, this episode contains the first mention of Penhurst, oh, which yeah, does. Is, is a really major um, place in Thanks, season Lucas. four. Yep. Uh, and the song playing right before The Clash plays in Jonathan's car is Go Nowhere by Reagan Youth, which was not released until 1984. So there's a little bit of you a know, time slip up there. Who made this show? Just, I mean, so careless. The so actual careless. audacity <laughs> to put a song that didn't exist yet right in the, in the show. So, I know. Insane. Insane. <laughs> All right. So... Time for a scene by scene breakdown. And yeah, everybody get ready. We're gonna we're gonna really do this. All the as, scenes. As I mentioned, this episode has a very large number of scenes. <laughs> it's okay. 
just just uh, squeezed right into that episode. So many. So we pick up where we left off on the night of November 6, 1983. It's That's November wrong. 7th. It's for everybody again. who's confused, it's November 7th. <laughs> it is. It's November 7th. So we pick up right where we left off on the night of November 7th, 1983. Mike, Lucas, and Dustin bring Eleven to the Wheeler's house to get her some dry clothes and find out who she is. The boys want to tell Karen about Eleven, but realize they will get in trouble for going out. Mike gives Elle her nickname, Elle. Hmm. <laughs> so cute. I just loved in this part of this episode how Mike is immediately sympathetic to her and he doesn't oh God, even yeah. know who she is. I, I wrote, Mike drinks respect women juice. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Because <laughs> he's he's so nice to her, like for no reason. Yeah, um, he is. She's just scared and cold. Like, And you have Lucas and Dustin who are like, who is this person? Get them out of here. She's taking off her clothes. Yay. <laughs> oh, I have, um, a good, I have a good point about that when we get there. Oh, fun. Um, I thought it was really cute that she is wearing Mike's coat when she's first sitting Aww. on the couch. Yeah, she's wearing his coat um, when she's sitting on the couch down in the basement right after they bring her inside. I didn't pick up on that. Very cute. Um, also, when she goes into the bathroom to change mm-hmm. after after her, her incident in which she does not realize that... <laughs> that that uh you're supposed to have privacy um she leaves the door open three yes inches. three inches i said this is the first allusion to door open three inches that we get mm-hmm. when mike goes to close the door and she's like no no please don't do that so but it's cute. so sad because it's clearly because she's traumatized from being in brenner's isolation cell where she know. knows that that door is going to be closed and she's just going to be stuck in this cell for know. you know however long it's but scary the other thing that i noticed particularly about the scene where she just goes to casually disrobe and the boys <laughs> are like whoa don't do that yeah she, she clearly at least in my interpretation was not entitled to privacy no at least that's like how i see it yeah where in hawkins lab she either wasn't entitled to it or it wasn't like something that any of the children were allowed like i don't know it just it really did not sit well with me when i came Mm -hmm. to that conclusion that the reason she's so casual about undressing is because she's probably totally not used to having privacy yeah it it says to me like the level of which they were treated like experiments like yes yeah just not people at all yeah like little like lab rats literally like lab rats um (laughs) one thing i noticed in this scene also is that we get one of the first like Luke, somebody slapping someone's hand away from something like the boys are always slapping each other's hands yeah yeah <laughs> well weird? there's there's later in the episode too and like we'll, we'll we'll get to that scene where lucas just grabs her yeah and it just like very handsy everybody's very handsy they are very handsy you even see mike go to reach out and touch her tattoo and she jolts back yeah. And it's just like this assumption. It's, it's also, I guess you could say, like a, a comfort with touch versus a discomfort with touch. Yeah. So. Yeah. Right. I guess like, you know, that says to us that these boys have never like experienced any sort of violence or mm. like it's like touch has always been something positive, I guess. Yeah. Um, For them, because they all have like nice parents and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, But yeah, they, they meet somebody who has not 
had that experience. Um, also, one other thing I noticed is night mic. That's like the yeah. first sentence night that we mic. get. Night mic. So sweet. Well, I All mean, right. you also, you, yeah. sorry, I'm just like, no, no, you, mentioned, you mentioned Penhurst at the top uh-huh. of this in the fast facts. And in our season one overview, we would, we had talked about this, this trust theme and how Lucas's trust for L is really a big part of the season. Yeah. And this is like the first inkling you get of her real distrust or his I'm sorry his real distrust for her and you also get a little bit of like what sounds like resentment for her because he says we went out to find Will not another problem and in that moment you kind of see that Lucas has defined Elle as like an additional issue that they have to now deal with and he's he doesn't want to be bothered he just wants to find his friend I know I know that was like sad but also I kind of understand yeah who is this person Right, like, we, we have enough on our plate right now. Yeah. No, I, so, I totally get it. The next morning, Hopper arrives at the buyer's house to examine Joyce's fried phone mm. and to let her know that they found a whole lot of nothing. Yeah. Joyce tells Hopper about the phone call, and Hopper kind of dismisses Joyce as being emotional. Hopper decides to check out Lonnie, which Joyce insists is a dead end, and he is in so many ways. This scene opens with Jonathan cooking a really good looking breakfast i know it looks good it does and he's just this is even going back to the whole sacrifice thing like mm-hmm. his joyce is sitting there completely distraught over these missing posters and she's like i have to here's the money to go to the printer and it's this much per copy and jonathan is just like no no like mom like relax it's okay like i will handle it and he is just taking the the yeah. whole the, the burden of this off of her trying to at least very parentified here yes when when hopper arrives uh joyce says that she's been waiting for six hours what time is it they're like eating (laughs) breakfast how has she been waiting for six hours well what time can we assume that that phone call came through the night before yeah i guess it's six hours since the phone call right right and she probably tried to contact him somehow and i don't know maybe it's like it's got to be early morning right yeah like, it seems like the call came through at probably, like, 2 a.m. or something, which would make sense if it was, like, 8 a.m., six hours. Yeah. But why would Hopper come over in the middle of the night like that? At she, least at this point. She is in need of his services. <laughs> she sure is. <laughs> Not those kind of services. <laughs> you know, the police ones. She sure is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love in the house, like, we, we get a lot of really nice shots of the house in this scene because mm-hmm. um, it's finally, like, daytime. And we can see stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's so 70s. Yeah, um, There's so many painful. 70s. Yeah, like, there's so many 70s touches in the house, which I really appreciate. I feel like that's a nice attention to detail that, like, Joyce is way too busy and also does not have the money to be keeping up with trends. Yeah. So the house is very dated. And um, I really liked that detail a lot. The one thing that I did with this scene, which was totally unnecessary, was I picked out one line that Jonathan said when... He asks Hopper if they can trace who made the call. And mm. Hopper says, it doesn't work like that. So I just <laughs> had to understand why doesn't it work like that? Ooh. Because, because you know, nowadays it's like we have caller ID, if that's even yeah. what this is called anymore. And we, can, we, we don't need to worry about tracing calls. Like, we just have phone records. So I did a little bit of research. 
um, on the Google, and I tried to figure out what would make a call untraceable in the the 80s. And I'm sorry if this is just very, like, who cares? But so essentially, and I think this is pretty common because you see this in other shows where, like, they're trying to trace a call. If the receiving end of the call is dropped or hangs up, the call becomes immediately untraceable. Okay. So if I call you, for example, and we're having a phone conversation, and then you hang up on your end, you're the receiving end, then the call would become untraceable. Okay. So, I mean, obviously Joyce didn't get a chance to hang up the phone because, like, the Demogorgon just hung up on her or whatever the heck that was that called her. But the other thing, too, is... In order to trace a call, the call had to be traced backwards from the receiving line to the original line, and it involved dozens of electromechanical switches on a switchboard. Oh, my God. Yeah. So I thought it was just interesting because, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, what we see throughout the season of, of the call, of the listening in on the calls and the switchboard, like those are the switchboards, correct? Yeah, I think so. Right? So we even see these switchboards, and you can yeah. see how calls were routed through different channels and all this stuff, and their people were actually manually routing calls. And that actually makes a lot of sense. Um, well, of course it does. It's, you know, the truth. But within the, <laughs> within the show, I mean, because when we see all those agents who are sitting at those switchboards and stuff, I mean, they're tracing calls. Like, mm-hmm. that's what they're doing. So, mm-hmm. yeah, they're very yeah. cool. So I just thought that was, I was like, well, why not? Why can't we just trace the call? Why doesn't it work like that? And I had to know. Yeah. No, that's very cool. Thank you. I like that. Um, Joyce saying, wouldn't you know your own daughter's breathing? Come on, Joyce. That's a low blow. That is a low blow. Not cool. No, Joyce. Point taken. Point taken indeed. But Um, low blow. I mean, yeah, I get like you're going through something, girl, but not cool. Although she, she... she does look like she instantly regrets saying that. Yeah. And then he's got to go out there and he's got to, you know, medicate. Yes. Walks medicate. out the door, just medicates immediately. Yeah. Um, and then last thing I had about the scene was when uh, Hopper and Jonathan are outside talking mm-hmm. in front of the police car and we get cops are good at finding, which is a great uh, score track. I really oh, like it. I don't know if I consciously like know that one in my head. Yeah, I yeah, it's it's good. I like it. Um, it's just perfect for the scene, and I love the title. Cops are good at finding. Everybody, go listen to "Cops Are Good at Finding." <laughs> it's a hot track. <laughs> yeah, top forty. <laughs> top forty. <laughs> top forty Stranger Things score tracks for sure. <laughs> listen, that's my entire like recently played on my 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 iTunes. So I don't want to yep. hear it. You know, I just yeah. listen to soundtrack music. I don't listen to actual music anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so at the Wheelers, Mike and Nancy are arguing at the breakfast table. Love Mike that. Mike sneak. I know. It's so cute. It's so funny. Mike s- sneaks Egos for Eleven, who keeps messing with his walkie-talkie. <laughs> he tries to convince Elle to have Karen uh, find help for her, but Elle tells Mike that the bad men are after her and they're going to come after the boys, too. Back at Hawkins' lab, Dr. Brenner listens to a recording of Joyce's phone call uh, to the police station where she describes the frightening call from the night before. Imagine your significant other comes up to you in your room, wherever you are, and whips out a waffle from their jacket pocket (laughs) and is like, here, dear, here is your breakfast. Thank you. (laughs) For my one plain ego. (laughs) (laughs) That's what he did. He went downstairs 
with an ego in his pocket and just took it out and was like, here you go. <laughs> and she just bites you know, it. <laughs> I will say, given the context, it is pretty romantic. I think it it's is. Cute. It's cute. It is. And it's also a little bit of a we're going to talk about this in detail because mm-hmm. we, we have to do that with everything. But you get a little bit of a sense of Mike's love language at least my interpretation of his love language it's this like acts of service and gift giving type thing and he's like she would probably like a waffle and he just like thinks to bring her breakfast i know it's so cute like what a thoughtful little boy he is thoughtful right because what is he here like 11 years old maybe 12 yeah i think i think um, i think i think they're 12 i think like that's where i've landed with their ages in season one i think they're about 12 yeah so that's like it's a lot for a 12 year old boy to consider to do all this so that's very sweet um i like when uh nancy and mike are fighting at the breakfast table baby holly is in the background and she is living for this tea she is looking over at them (laughs) and she is giving them a little bit of side eye but she also kind of want to like she wants to know what's going on yeah isn't this when nancy isn't this when mike dumps the syrup onto nancy's plate I and think she's so. like, that's disgusting. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. This was a previous, that was a previous breakfast scene. But this is the one where Mike is scarfing down his egos. Oh, that's okay. Right. And she's like, slow down, Mike. Yeah. Yeah. And she still says that's disgusting. She does. She says yeah. the same thing. Like, that's disgusting. And Nancy's little style here, we could see like her whole outfit. She's wearing these clogs, like just chunky, cl- like not quite clogs, but they're like platform. Um, like, I don't know what you call them, but and she has like those cute little like frilly socks on um that ballet slipper necklace oh which yeah I, the ballet slipper necklace i still don't understand why ballet. she wears that she yeah. did it did she i, I don't know that, right it's it's implied <laughs> i guess Not and yet. same with uh karen's vest that she's wearing it's like this pastel pink and blue karen's and it's, hair in the scene too if i remember it's like like feathered back yes. away from her face oh yeah Oh, she's yeah. just, her hair is just fabulous. <laughs> Every season, she's got great hair. Yes. She really does. Season uh, but four yeah. is questionable, in my See, opinion. I love her season. I mean, no, yeah. I okay, it's, it's a lot. Perm. It's, it's a lot. It's a, it's a, it's a little bit ramen <laughs> Yes, it is ramen But like bef- pre-cooked. Pre-cooked ramen. <laughs> yeah, dry. <laughs> dry ramen. <laughs> Raw ramen. <laughs> um, so when we see Mike talking to Elle in her little tent, mm-hmm. um, it's clear here that Elle can understand a lot more than she can say. Yeah. Like, Mike is explaining this whole plan to her, and she doesn't seem confused at all. No. But I think that speaks to, because I know there was a lot of criticism surrounding the fact that she seemed to be a lot more verbal in all of the flashbacks from 1979. Yeah. In season four. And it was always, well, how did her language deteriorate so much? Why is she speaking full sentences in 1979, but by the time she escapes in 1983, her she's basically nonverbal? And people chalk it up to, like, the trauma. Yeah. But I think this, the point that you just made, how she seems to really be comprehending and following along with Mike's plan and her resistance to it speaks to the fact that it probably is trauma-related, mm-hmm. her, her her lack of speech in season one and two. Like, she has to rebuild that <clears throat> throughout the seasons. Yes. Well, that and uh, in season four, when... Uh, Elle is doing the Nina project. Brenner mm-hmm. basically equates what happened to her to a stroke. Yes, and, you're right. She, yeah, that does happen. Aphasia is a common stroke syndrome, uh, mm-hmm. symptom. So that it it could be that. Yeah. I don't like to think of her having a stroke. I know she's so little. She was eight. Yeah, only eight years old. When that happened. I know. 
Yeah, I don't think she actually... No. I don't think she did, but he equates it to that. It's sad. Like, part of your brain being wiped out, basically. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, so I I just thought of that um, immediately. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you have anything else about this scene? No, we had the second part about um, Dr. Brenner listening to the recordings of Joyce's call, but... Yes. It's pretty... Well, He's... I said uh, when they're walking in to, like, the control room where he goes and listens to the call, um, him and Connie Frazier are talking about something while they're walking down the hallway. Mm-hmm. And he says, like, oh, it happened less than two miles away. They're talking about Barb. And but, I never... Barb, but Barb didn't die yet at this point. Oh. Are you sure? Yeah. This is the... She oh, died yeah. At the end. <laughs> Maybe they're Guys... talking about the hunters. People, just for some context, we've decided to record this episode in the morning. <laughs> yeah. We're still pretty sleepy. And it's not what even that early. It's what not are we talking early. about? Is this a Breaking Bad podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Uh, yeah. Oops. Maybe they're talking about the hunters. I don't know. I don't know. What the true. I forgot the two hunters are allegedly killed. But I yeah. mean, they could be talking about Will. Yeah. Who's to say? No. It's well, only been. They say. It happened less than two miles away, and then she says, and the boy. Mm. So they're not talking about Will, but yeah, who knows? It's probably the hunters, because we get that allusion to them at some point as well. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Sorry, I'm asleep, I guess. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) All right. At the high school, Steve invites Nancy and, well, he doesn't really invite Barb. Barb is a, yeah, she's just invited by proxy. She is. uh, To a house party with his nightmare friends, Tommy and Carol. Jonathan is putting up missing posters, which Steve, Tommy, and Carol balk at. Nancy, yeah. (laughs) Nancy consoles Jonathan kind of awkwardly. Uh, Meanwhile, Dustin and Lucas notice Mike's absence from school. Mike has skipped school in order to stay home with Elle, and Mike takes Elle on a tour of the house. There is a lot to be said in all of this starting with um something that i know that amanda and i both picked out why (laughs) does tommy grab barb's ear in this scene i i wrote in all caps did tommy give barb a wet willy yeah i i wasn't sure if it was he legitimately put his finger in his mouth and stuck it in barb's ear yeah, that's at timestamp 12 minutes, 32 seconds, if you want to go and check that out and see if you also see the wet willy happen, because that is was that, disgusting. Is he flirting with her? What is Dude, happening? I don't know. It's so weird. Like, for, he doesn't even know her at all. No, who are you? Get your finger out of my ear. Like, what is <laughs> happening? <laughs> you're a bully, and you're, I just, I don't understand. I don't either. I don't understand. I laughed when when Nancy is like, it's Tuesday. And Tommy's like, it's Tuesday. Like, why is that so funny? It is a Tuesday. And you guys are in high school. Thirsty Tuesday. Am I right? Like, they're just sociopaths. They're so weird. Like, Oh, and then, and then the other thing that they say, oh my God, they're just such pieces of shit. Tommy's like, how much you want to bet he killed him about about john like why would jonathan kill his brother i know what what is there i need to understand their rationale for this comment disgusting right like i mean they say i don't think he speaks about jonathan like 
he just just because he's not like just a, a garbage human like you like it doesn't make him a serial killer it is an interesting and i didn't think of that until you just said that though it is interesting that he there's a point made to address like do you think he speaks or i bet he doesn't speak because we now know how nonverbal l is and mm. there is this like sort of sort of theme around this the non-speaking individual, I guess. It's just interesting that they yeah. would have thrown that in there. Yeah, people think you're weird if you don't speak. Right. Yeah, which is not cool. It's just simply not. <laughs> it's um, not cool. I, it's not. I also like when Jonathan, after he's done hanging up the flyers, he just walks out. Yeah. Does he, he go just, to this school? I'm confused. I, me, I, right? I don't know. He just, is he just walks out. He doesn't out. need to be there because I've he's in a I've never crisis? seen this man attend a class ever. No. Did he graduate? <laughs> Like, I, well, no. By season four, no, he still hadn't because it was spring break of his senior year. In th- four seasons, the only class we've ever seen Jonathan attend is woodshop. And wait, we did see him attend one other class uh, in season two when Nancy invites him to the Halloween right. party. Yes, he was leaving a class. Yes. Okay, so he does attend this school. This isn't just a she doesn't even go here situation. Like it, he's. It did make me laugh, though, because like it did make me think of a little bit of our high school days because there were... There were definitely some times that you could kind of just walk out the door. Oh, yeah. I don't think I went to gym once my senior year. I skipped every period of gym. It was last period. And I oh. just I just walked around the town instead. Around hey, it was a gym. I was walking. Yeah. You were still doing physical activity. There we go. Also, that's what they get for putting gym at the end of the day. What do you want? You no. Know, exactly. A good point. <clears throat> yeah. Sorry if our uh, families are listening. But we're 30 now. <laughs> It's did okay. you did you pick up i'm sure you did but in the scene really quick you get that subtle nod to steve's family life yes yes so and i didn't realize this until we were actually talking about it recently i'd yeah. never picked up on it before but at this part steve says that the reason that they can have the party is because his dad is out of town for a conference and his mom went with him because she doesn't trust him <laughs> and outside of that like you don't you don't get a lot on steve's family but i feel like Based on this information, Steve's outlook on relationships, I can understand his outlook on relationships. Yeah. If this is his parents' dynamic. I know. And and Tommy even remarks that it's smart move on his mom's yeah. part. So, like, does his father just, is it just known that his father cheats on his mother? Is that what we're left to assume here? Yeah, that's, I don't like that. Um, the Harrington but it does, scandal. It does apparently. say a lot about, about like, Steve, like, Steve's exposure to relationships. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. And speaking of terrible relationships, can we talk about when Mike is showing Elle the lazy boy and he goes, this is where my dad sleeps. <laughs> <laughs> Very That's casual. so subtle. I never picked up on that. Me either until this rewatch. He, he just goes, that's where my dad sleeps. Yikes, you know, Ted. I'm not going to say anything about Karen and uh, Billy, but we'll just get there when we get there. because. Oh, man. If Ted is sleeping on the lazy boy... Like, Already? In season one? Yeah, in season one. Yeah. Um, right. Okay, I also wanted to mention, um, Mike <laughs> is like, oh, look at our TV. It's a 22-inch. It's ten ti- or it's two times bigger than Dustin's. What? Dustin has an 11-inch TV? Is that what we're saying right now? It's I don't tw- even... I can't even picture... I guess this I'm I'm on an iPad just for no reason, but like, is this about eleven inches? Twelve? I don't know. Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah, that's a very small TV. But a my, tiny TV. 
My bigger question about that is that we've seen Dustin's house. It's very nice. I have nice. a lot of questions about Dustin's family from yes. this episode that are not congruent with the rest of the series. Yeah, okay. I'm excited for that because, yeah, that's my first one. That doesn't make yeah, any well, sense. Because Dustin's mother, clearly, I don't know what she does for a living, but they have a killer house. They do. They have probably the best house yeah. in the series. It's and so nice. Also, during this collection of scenes where we have Dustin and Lucas noticing that Mike's not at school... We have Dustin say, if Mrs. Wheeler tells my parents. Oh, parents. We've only ever seen Dustin's mother. So he's alluding here to parents, which is all well and good. But where is his father or his other parent figure? Yes. Where is this person? I don't know. Did we just not prepare this far in advance for Dustin's family to be relevant? So at this point in the series, he had parents. And then by season two, they're like, let's give him just a mom. Yeah, it feels kind of weird that he would say parents and then, like, we wouldn't get any allusion to a dad ever existing. Nope. Like, like I don't, I don't no. know. I figured it out. I'm oh, sorry. What? It's just Steve. Oh, right. Right. That's his, mom his and dad. Steve. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Just ignore all that. It all made sense. Yeah. It was Steve. All it was time. Steve the whole time. <laughs> Dustin didn't even know that it was Steve. No. So meanwhile, Jonathan is going to travel to uh, Indianapolis to confront his dad. In my notes, I actually wrote he's traveling to Indiana. Um, Yeah, I see that. (laughs) They live in Indiana. uh, (laughs) Definitely meant Indianapolis. Uh, So he's confronting his dad, Lonnie, and he wants to search there for Will. He has a flashback to showing Will the song Should I Stay or Should Should I Go by The Clash, while Joyce argues with Lonnie in the background. I can very much relate. And I know that we've made light of uh, parental dysfunction in the last, like, 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. But I can very much relate to turning up things very loud to drown out arguing parents. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was really sweet, like, seeing Jonathan being a father figure mm-hmm. for Will in this moment. Like, he's protecting him from Lonnie. And he's basically like, what do you want to hang out with that guy for anyway? He doesn't do anything <laughs> you like. Like, whatever. Um, so, yeah, it's a really sweet scene. It is also, a sweet scene. There, if like from behind, when when the camera comes up on Will and Jonathan, their hair looks exactly the same. I know we said this before in the vanishing of Will Byers episode, but the casting of this family should be kind of illegal. I mean, they just look so <laughs> similar. It's I mean, crazy. Not so much. I feel like Noah doesn't look as much now like a product of Joyce as he did when he was little playing Will. Yeah. Like now Noah is a little bit more of a standout as far yeah. as the genetics here are concerned. But Jonathan and Joyce, I know the, the, they look virtually like perfectly casted. It's, it's crazy. Like now that Noah, his, his jawline has gotten like mm-hmm. a little more defined, um, which like Jonathan and Joyce don't have as much. Um, so he does look a little different from them, but I mean, Aside from that, the casting for that family is ridiculous. Yes, we need to recast Noah. Yes, yeah, he's going to have to go. And I think that's reasonable. <laughs> Season five, don't need that guy anymore. Get a new one. Will who? <laughs> who is Will? <laughs> so Joyce visits Melvold's where she works, and she wants to buy a new phone. And her boss very <laughs> kindly gives her an advance on her pay, which she then negotiates to two weeks and a pack of camels. Gotta get the camels. But... <laughs> Imagine nowadays asking your boss for an advance right. on they your pay. <laughs> I, I literally so. wrote LMAO. Like, <laughs> <laughs> your boss is not giving you an advance on your pay. I'm sorry. No, absolutely not. No. 
two two weeks of an advance. No way. Like, also, this guy, Donald, he's so nice. I mean, he's Donald Melville, right? Like, he's, like, the owner. Um, Is that his last name? Yeah. Like, he's the owner of the place. And, but, like, do we ever see him again? No, essentially in season, in season three, really, and even season two, because Joyce is all, you know, making out with Bob in the storage room. It seems like Joyce just, like, owns this store. Is she the store's only employee after (laughs) this season? I think so. Like, I'm I'm pretty sure she's the only employee. Well, that's why Donald was working the cash register, because Joyce was out. Yes, it's only him and, and that guy, Jeffrey. That's the only other guy. Didn't even know there was a Jeffrey. Well, he says that he had to pay Jeffrey to cover for Joyce while she was right. out. God forbid. Yes. Right. I know. How dare you pay your employees? Crazy. <laughs> but also she mentioned that she has not taken a sick day in 10 years. What? She's just a very healthy person. Yeah. Or drinking airborne. I don't know. Okay. I'd like to read a little bit too much into this for a moment, though. Um, I think that this also really ties into, like, the parentification of Jonathan. Mm. Because, mm-hmm. like, you know, when you're a parent, your kid gets sick, a lot of times you have to stay home, too. But she had Jonathan. Yeah. And if she's been working there for 10 years and Will is 12, that means she's been working there since he was two years old and she's never taken a sick day. Yeah. How is how do you not take a sick day when you have, like, a toddler? How about um, you make your older son just take care of your younger son? Yes. Which, like, by the way, I'd like to point out that this is not Joyce slander. Um, because no, no, I, not at all. We love no, Joyce. Love Joyce so much. I just, I do find that her character is not quite there yet mm-hmm. in this season. At least in the early episodes of the season. Like, I feel like she's not really the Joyce we know and love yet. Um, yeah, she's definitely relying a bit more on Jonathan. But I do think that this season really helps her understand that she can't do that anymore it's also probably just by necessity yeah sometimes you just are a working parent you might be working two or three jobs to support your family you're a single parent and i know from working with young adults that Mm -hmm. so often these young adults are completely responsible for their younger siblings yeah yes that's true yep so Um, i don't think it's that far-fetched no, I don't think so either. Yeah, like we we both work with, uh, you know, college age students and we see it a lot. So makes mm-hmm. sense. All right. A Hawkins Lab employee is going to show up to the buyers. Um, he's disguised as a repairman and he's checking to see if the buyers are home. When the coast is clear, a team of scientists walk through the house and the shed. Using a scanner, Dr. Brenner discovers a black liquid dripping down the shed wall. It took me reading our notes on the scene to consciously understand what is happening. I don't oh. know why. I never put two and two together that this was the Hawkins personnel coming to essentially like stake out the buyer's home. And you I don't know, know why? why. Maybe I was just zoning out. No, you know why you never noticed? It's because when they close up on Brenner when he's wearing that suit, he looks like George W. Bush. Okay. He doesn't look like Brenner. He looks like George W. Bush. I mean, I did write that in this suit, I just cannot take him nearly as seriously. Right? He looks so silly. You're like, Papa is all of a sudden not very intimidating (laughs) wearing this hazmat suit. Excuse me. Like, he looks like an Among Us character in that thing. (laughs) Like, he doesn't look... He's sus. 
Yeah, he is sus. He does not look scary at all. I really, really find that his face reminds me of George W. Bush. I don't know why. I'm going to have to go back and watch for that. But I don't mean like Matthew Modian in general. I don't think that he looks like George W. Bush. But only in that suit when you can just see like the middle of his face. Yeah, it's got to be something about the suit. Yeah. Also, what are these scanners? Like what are they scanning? Um, please don't ask me my question that I'm saving for the end of this episode. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> That's my question. That's so funny because it was actually in the running for it to be my question, too. <laughs> it would have been so funny if we had the same one. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, that's... almost that almost made its way into my um, wrong answers only. So No, I... that's my question. Okay, I guess we'll Excuse get to it. Excuse me. I'm going to have to start thinking. Um, also, extraordinary. <laughs> <laughs> Again, Amanda, with the impressions that are just a little bit too good. I have to stop. Someone stop me. I stop just, watching the show. I I love Brenner's one-liners. Like, it reminds me of, like, CSI. <laughs> like, what else? Is, he says, like, when Elle flips the van, he says something, too. Just yes. Like a, like he might even say, like, amazing or something. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's so silly. I just But he says it, too, when she when you see her kill the orderlies. Oh, yes. Yes. Yes, that's right. He does. He says something else. We'll, we'll inevitably point it out because Brenner's one-liners are, they're great. Every time we're, like, re-watching Stranger Things, uh, every time Brenner's going to say one of those one-liners, my fiancé always says, Excelsior. But he never <laughs> says Excelsior. <laughs> but it, you, like, you, like, half expect him to say that. Oh my goodness. <clears throat> so back at the Wheelers, Elle points out Will in a photo in Mike's room. When Karen unexpectedly returns home, Mike feigns a sickness in order to be left alone. Mike explains the concept of a promise to Elle. When Elle is hiding in the closet, she has a scary flashback to Brenner having orderlies drag Elle to a solitary confinement room while she screams and cries for him. So sad. Yeah, Elle in the scene is... I think Mike is like trying to explain to her that Yoda has telekinetic powers. <laughs> he can move things with his mind. And Elle just does not care because she's like, yeah, same. Like, yeah, same. Yeah, same, right? Like, we're unimpressed yeah, we can, by Yoda. We can all do that. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. This isn't just normal. Yeah, everybody does that. So, um, there's a, or I'm sorry, there's a big ET reference here um, in like this whole scene. In E.T., Elliot, who is kind of like our Mike here, he mm-hmm. stays home from school to be with E.T., L, <laughs> and he pretends to be sick, and he shows him all of his toys. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty cute. I have a question about this scene. Yes. And I hope that you can answer it. Oh, boy. Because I feel like I should have an answer, and I just don't. How does L? Why is she able to point out Will in this photo? I did have that question written down. What are we supposed to know that? Yeah. Like what it what and and I uh, this comes up again and yes. like I won't get ahead of ourselves but are we just supposed to what are we supposed to I gather? Don't know. I had the same question. I was like I don't I don't she, understand. She just like points yeah. at him. How does she uh, like how does she recognize him? Like I, I I don't know. I don't get it. Yeah, yeah, I don't. I, I don't know. Okay, so we don't have answers. And maybe yeah. if you have answers, you can enlighten us. But I don't understand what we're supposed to understand about same. her knowing what Will looks like. I had this exact same question, and I felt similarly that, like, oh, am I supposed to know the answer to this? It feels like I yeah. am. Um, I also thought it was really cute 
that when Elle is looking at the po- the trophies that Mike is showing her, she's actually smiling when he's like, mm-hmm. yeah, we win first place every year. And she's smiling and it's so cute. There's so. something really sad and you might have caught it as well about the flashback that we get mm-hmm. because you can see that Brenner's love for Elle is conditional. So yeah. it's based off of what she's able to achieve with her abilities. And he sticks her in solitary confinement and... This is just full-blown child abuse. Yeah. But then you get this little tiny scene of Karen and Mike when she realizes that he cut school and stayed home because he was sick. And she assures him that she's not mad. Mm -hmm. And she expresses true empathy. And you can see how this is such a contrast to the the flashback right before where you see, like, Brenner's quote-unquote parenting and Karen's quote-unquote parenting. Yeah. And they were just perfectly juxtaposed to each other. I never noticed that. I yeah. never I never really made that connection, but that mm-hmm. is so cool. Um, you could just see the difference between the unconditional love and the conditional love. Yeah, I love that. I, I actually wrote, uh, Karen, you can talk to me. Yeah. <laughs> she's really like, trying to get that point across this She season. really is. <laughs> this is Karen. The, I think this is the... Is this the first time she says it? I think season? she's... Yeah, and then she says it again when Nancy is keeping from her that she slept with Steve. Yeah. She's like, you can talk to me. Yeah. Good good Karen. Like, she's she's just so sweet. Good Karen. Good Karen. <laughs> um, there is a really interesting uh, poster that I recognized in Mike's room. So mm-hmm. when he is <clears> – <throat> when Karen comes home and he's, like, running back into the room with Elle um, – we see them pass a poster that's like right next to his uh, bedroom door. And the poster is for the movie Dark Crystal. It looks a lot like our Mega Gate in season four. Ooh. Yeah. I'll have I, to go back and look at that. Yeah. I took a picture of the screen, which I can maybe put in our um, Instagram story. Okay. I think without getting sued. Um, <laughs> don't so, want to get sued. Do not want to get sued. We are not um, the Sadler company. But <laughs> don't want to be sued. <laughs> But there's a there's an image on the poster with like a big hand and it's coming through a, mm. a giant hole in the ground and the hole has like four or so cracks coming off of it. It's really interesting. Um but it looks a lot like it. So this movie was released December 17th, 1982. It has a 79% on Rotten Tomatoes. All right, so it's a B movie. Pretty well received. Uh I will read a quick summary. Uh, Jen, who is raised by the noble race called the Mystics, has been told that he's the last survivor of his own race, the Gelflings. He sets out to try to find a shard of a dark crystal, a powerful gem that once provided balance to the universe. After the crystal was broken, the evil somebody used sinister means to to gain control. Jen believes he can repair the dark crystal and bring peace back to the world if only he can find the remaining shard. Ooh. That's interesting Mm -hmm. because that does sound a little bit talisman-y to me. Oh, does it? Yes. I haven't read the talisman yet, but it is sitting on my dresser because I will read the talisman in time for season five. Um, But yeah, I don't know a lot about it yet, but from the summaries that I have read, there is this sort of like a quest seeking an item Mm. to restore some kind of battle. Like it it is sounding a little bit talisman-y to me. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. And I also feel like since this movie had come out in December 1982 and this season takes place almost a year later, 
it feels like that poster was chosen with purpose. Oh, I'm sure. Um, yeah, like I don't know what exactly that was, but it's it feels not random. No, I totally agree, especially because I find a poster later that I also feel is not random. Ooh, okay. I'm excited. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, <clears throat> so after that, Joyce goes home to set up her new phone, and she sits down with it in her lap, waiting for another phone call. Poor Joyce. Uh, Hopper then discovers Benny Hammond's body, which has been staged as a suicide by Hawkins Lab. I have a lot to say about these two scenes, mostly surrounding Callahan and Powell. Right? They are the worst. Yeah. So in the, we get we get the side scene here of the search party. Yes. And you see Hopper and Callahan standing at the edge of the same cliff that Mike jumps off later in the season. Uh-huh. And Callahan literally says, oh, hell, I could survive that. And I just thought that was a little bit of foreshadowing that Mike <gasps> will jump off that cliff but does survive. Yeah. And, and also foreshadowing that they find Will's quote-unquote body mm-hmm. in that quarry, but he yes. actually did survive. Yes, yes. Very and then the other piece to this that I feel like Callahan and Powell are so out of touch or something. I can't they're idiots. I don't know. They're just idiots. Yeah, they are. It makes me upset. But so when when they go to when they go to Benny's burgers and they discover him dead and they start to tease, Callahan and Powell start to tease Hop about feeling like a big city cop again. They're like, oh, you got a suicide and, and a disappeared kid and win the same week. Blah, 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 blah. And Hop is like, yeah, well, this dude's my friend, though. Like, okay. they didn't even. No. There's no awareness, situational, social awareness on the part of these two. I can't stand them. They bother me. I know. And, and like, okay, like, all of that aside, even if Hopper didn't know Benny. There is a dead body in this There is a dead body. There is a dead man. Yes. Like, have some respect, people. No respect. Yeah, no respect at all. It also reminds me of uh, the other search party scene that we have uh, where uh, they ask Hopper, like, what he found when he went to Joyce's. And, yeah, I think it's Callahan who's like, so did they screw or what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, so they screwed, right? And even Powell just like, he just walks away. And Callahan right. goes, so is that a yes? Or oh, There's just, there's so many moments in this episode in particular between the two of them. And I just want to, I want to, they need to be fired. Honestly, I, I never minded them. Um, I just, I find them to be like fun comic relief a little bit because they yeah. do, they don't stand in Hopper's way. That's the thing that I can appreciate about them. Like mm-hmm. they don't, they don't really hold him back from doing what Hopper needs to do. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, now I start to mind them because seeing how incompetent they both are and Powell becomes chief in season four. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I think now knowing that it just makes me even more nervous for the season four town. Yeah. Yeah. It's bad. Um, I mean, thank God it wasn't Callahan who became chief because he's a real idiot. Oh, my God. There are some more moments that are yeah. they're just cringe. Yes. But anyway. So Jonathan, he now barges into his father's house to look for Will. Lonnie clearly wants nothing to do with his children. And for their sake, thank goodness for that. Uh, Will is not there. Lonnie criticizes <laughs> Joyce's parenting. He criticizes Joyce's parenting. And then give and Jonathan gives Lonnie a missing poster in case he forgot what Will looked like, which he probably did. He definitely totally did. Uh yikes at his girlfriend not knowing what Jonathan looks like. 
I couldn't even make a connection if this woman knew that what's her name Cynthia if yeah. she knew that Lonnie had children it literally didn't seem like it I'm pretty sure she didn't and then what does she say she's like maybe I should trade you in for the younger model ew <laughs> I literally wrote ew Cynthia he's in high school <laughs> <laughs> well the other part about this scene that I picked up was he Lonnie literally says that boy was never that good at taking care of himself. Okay, essentially blaming Will for his own disappearance, but also he is 12. He is not supposed to take yeah. care of himself. He was never good at taking care of himself. Yeah, that makes sense considering he is prepubescent. He is a child. And then we have to assume that, I mean he's st- he's saying this as if Will has a track record of being bad at taking care yes. of himself. He was a child. He was when, I don't know when Lonnie left this picture, but you had to assume it's been it's been a number of years and Will is only getting younger in these years. So like, mm-hmm. does Lonnie just expect an eight-year-old to just fend for himself? I, I That comment to me, I was like, do you even know what, what you're saying? The people are more real out here. Like, Shut <laughs> up, Lonnie. Shut up. Oh my God. But it is interesting because I feel like later on, we do get that weird Nancy and Jonathan nuclear family. Mm. There's got to be more. Like, And that reminded me of when Lonnie said, you got to, you know, the city is different. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Like, I get that. Y- you do get that the people of Hawkins, especially Steve's and Nancy's, those that age group might have a, there's got to be more to life mentality about this town, like small town yeah. sort of thing. Which is probably pretty common mm-hmm. when you grow up in a small town. Right. I mean, honestly, we, we did not grow up in a small town and we kind of had a similar mentality growing exactly. up. Exactly. And yeah. But like, here we are. So. <laughs> yeah, in the small, well, you're not in the small town. I'm not. I'm in the small town. But I'm not very far. No. Um, <clears throat> so quick question about this scene. Um, so Lonnie says, same thing I told those cops, but then he says Hopper isn't still chief, is he? So did the cops show up or not? Was it the other cops maybe? That showed up maybe it was house? the Callahans and the Powell. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I thought that that was like a little confusing because I felt like Hop was the one saying he was going to go there. But yeah. then But then he says Hop isn't still chief, is he? So I don't know. Wouldn't he know that? Yeah, that threw me off a little bit. Oh, I also noticed when I, don't, I we might be getting to this part and I might be jumping ahead. But when they're interviewing the Benny's friend. Yeah. About the child that he sees that he saw at Benny's. He says, he identifies Will, the friend, identifies Will as Lonnie's missing I wrote kid. that. I wrote that down. I yeah, hated that. Yeah, not Joyce's. Disgusting. What is wrong with you? Yeah. Uh, so I'll just read the, the scene. Um, mm-hmm. So Hopper interviews a friend of Benny's who says that Benny has seemed pretty normal lately. The friend mentions seeing Eleven, who he mistakes for a young boy with a shaved head, who Hopper believes could be Will. Yeah. He calls him Lonnie's kid. He says Lonnie's missing kid. Ew. Like, he says, that's Lonnie's miss. No, no, no. That's Lonnie's missing kid. No, it's not, though. <laughs> that's clearly Joyce's missing kid. Yes. I also thought it was kind of impressive that Callahan picked up on the kid comment and he, like, went to go get the yes. flyer. Yes. But I did I did notice Hop, like, give him the eye. Yeah, So I did. don't know if that, yeah, if it was, like, Hop. I don't know if I want to give him as much credit as no. we're giving him that it occurred to him to go get the poster. It seems kind of Hop was like, get that poster, but it, without saying it. It definitely didn't occur to him on his own, but I, I, was, right. I was still kind of impressed that he even knew what that look even was mm-hmm. supposed to mean. So, uh, yeah. Wow. All right. Credit where credit's due. Great great use of your brain, Callahan. 
<laughs> During dinner at the Wheeler's house, Nancy asks Karen to go to the vigil for Will, which Karen reluctantly agrees to. Nancy actually is meeting up with Barb to go to Steve's party. The boys try to distract Karen when Elle comes down the stairs behind them. <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, I had what? How many bologna sandwiches? <laughs> I wrote Dustin this have for lunch. Dustin, he's so cute in the scene. He's like, I had two bologna sandwiches for lunch, and he's just so <laughs> cute. I can't. And Lucas is like, me too. Me too. <laughs> Why is Holly so easily frightened? <laughs> this girl cries every time a noise louder than like two decibels is made. Yeah, because Mike slams the table to distract from Elle walking down the stairs. Yes. And Holly and, and Karen has to be like, it's okay, Holly. Like, what? What is okay, Holly? What? Holly is scared. She's nervous. She's There's a lot nervous. going on. She's very sensitive. I mean, yeah. Maybe maybe this is like kind of us getting a little hint that Holly is going to notice something. Yeah, next, true. Next episode. Very true, because she does do that. Very perceptive, yes. Um, so that night in the woods, we see Mr. Clark discover a piece of hospital gown stuck to a drainage pipe near Benny's Burgers. The search party discovers that the pipe leads back to Hawkins National Laboratory. All right. Back to the Powell and Callahan hate. Okay. I, I think we're going to say the same thing. <laughs> Why? Why does Powell say, can't ask a corpse a question? He is a 12-year-old boy. What is wrong with you? I don't know. Is this, is, this a, is this a defense mechanism? Have they had to harden themselves to accept the difficult realities of being a police officer? Like, In are Hawkins? they cold and stoic? I mean, yeah, true. The, the Your good point. Like, clearly nothing bad goes on in this town. So how hardened do you really right. need to be? This isn't Manhattan. Right. Like, like what are they dealing with here? I, I, I don't, I, I just, I can't justify in my head the need for these comments that these two keep making. Insane. <laughs> Shut up. Who would say that about a little kid? Can't ask a corpse the question. Oh like, no shit. God. I mean, you can. It's Sorry. not going to answer. Uh, true. You can ask whatever you want. You are right. <laughs> if you want to ask the corpse a question, by all means. I also have a bone to pick with the Duffer Brothers. Um... Mr. Clark is the only useful adult in this whole entire town. No, and, Hopper and Joyce are useful. Okay, but like for the science stuff, though, Mr. Clark True. is useful. And and he's got a very open mind. I need to understand why Mr. Clark is completely absent from season four and why he wasn't clued into everything by season two. Honestly, he should be a part of this. True. And I mean, the only reason that the kids are even able to reason through what could even be going yeah. on is because of mr clark's explanation right of many worlds and the flea and the acrobat so yeah good point why isn't mr clark like on the team to yeah. dismantle this whole thing i'm sure he would have been very useful in a lot of different scenarios mm -hmm. my only my only thing is i guess maybe they are trying to keep him safe like it seems like they don't try to clue in anybody who doesn't absolutely need to be understandable so I guess that's that's why, but I feel like he could have been very useful. I didn't I didn't write this down, but he's the one who finds the scrap of fabric, mm -hmm. right? And then he just touches it, yeah. and then Hop just touches it. Like, isn't this? Are we tampering with evidence here? What are we doing? Why are we putting our fingerprints all over this piece of fabric? Wow, that's true. Am, am I overthinking that? I mean, it is the 80s, 
So, so what does that mean? I don't know. I, I wasn't around. I've, I've also never been a police officer, so I have no way to say anything about this. I don't know. I, in fact, was a police officer. In the 80s? And, in the 80s. And I know that we are tampering with evidence. All right. I'm going to have to call the chief on this one. Okay. I just, like, that just stood out to me when I was, I was like, okay, so you're telling me that you just picked up this piece of evidence and then Hop just touched it and mm-hmm. they're so, they're soil, soiled it. They soiled it. They this soiled is now it. a piece of fabric soiled by mankind. This fabric is soiled. Wow. Okay, Henry. <laughs> <laughs> we live in a society. I am literally eight years old. <laughs> So back in the Wheeler's basement, Mike sneaks more food to Eleven, who is con- continuing to play with that radio. Lucas explains to Elle what a friend is. Uh, <laughs> Dustin apologizes for mistrusting her. Well, he kind of apologizes. Um, and Lucas remains wary. What is friend? Is she serious? <laughs> <laughs> um, how did Mike justify bringing an entire platter of meatloaf into his basement? Okay, so here's what I think happened. So, you know when they were at dinner and Karen was like, oh, is there something wrong with the meatloaf? I think they were all purposely not eating. And then they were, like, hiding. Okay. uh, Like, a full plate combined. Gotcha. I thought they were just, like, nervous and not hungry. It could have been that, too. I don't know. No, I think you're probably right. They were, like... She was like, well, you know, you could take that downstairs and finish your meatloaf after dinner. Yeah. And then, okay, thank you. That's probably what happened. It makes sense now. Okay. I was just trying to figure out, like, what do you... How do you... How do you justify to your mom? Yeah, mom, I'm just going to bring this meatloaf downstairs and eat this meatloaf. All right, <laughs> honey. <platter. laughs> no biggie. Uh, we need to talk about the spit shake. Please stop. That Not is disgusting. <laughs> I wrote that. I said no spit swears in this day and age, please. Ew. That is COVID central. Please yeah, do no. not spit shake with anybody. Keep your COVID away. Uh, yeah, really gross. Um, I also love Dustin's face after he spit, like, after Lucas just grabs his hand and puts spit in it. He's like, oh, my God. <laughs> Disgusting. I also thought it was kind of cute. Like, Lucas sort of seems to be softening a little bit here. Like, he's... A little bit. He's playing along with, with Elle being confused. Well, that's because she showed off her powers that's earlier true. in the episode, which we actually didn't talk about that. She oh, yeah. slams the door on them in her second display of power yeah. upstairs that's when, right. yeah, she slams it and she's like, no, yes. we're not telling your mom. Like, I mean, she doesn't say that many words, but like, that's what she was saying. Like, no. And she slams it and they just look at her and they're like, oh God. All right. I don't know where that scene went. I did have that written down and it disappeared. That's all right. There's a lot of scenes here. There's we're talking so many, about all the scenes. So many scenes in this episode. Um, yeah. I just thought it was cute. Lucas is finally like, oh, okay, you know. Well, yeah, this, she's dangerous. This person could be useful. Um, <laughs> so before arriving to Steve's party, Barb and Nancy pull over so Nancy can change into something cuter arguably not cuter i don't know i thought the purple shirt was cuter whatever uh right barb tries to convince nancy that steve only wants to get into her pants but nancy insists that is not true and even if it was none of your business nancy i mean barb who who cares let it happen sorry also why does barb know nancy's bra collection you don't know all my bras Uh, you're right i don't i don't know your bras Uh, they i don't yeah is that a new bra? Like, why do you know that? <laughs> Stop it. Get out of here. Inference. Yeah. But the other thing, too, is she was going to ditch. Yeah. Right? She was going to leave. And yeah. then she she didn't. I know. Barb. Because Nancy insisted, which is actually 
quite it's a nice dynamic between the two of them i can appreciate mm-hmm. it but yeah barb was was going to ditch she was like i'm just gonna go like this is just gonna be a, like an, a, a huge orgy <laughs> a huge <laughs> Which, what uh, an orgy between, f- I'm saying four, four high school students because Barb is not going to participate, which is, it barely qualifies as an orgy. Yeah. Plus, I feel like, and I don't think there's any technical reason why high schoolers can't be engaging in an orgy, but just something about the definition of an orgy just doesn't seem to me like it would involve high school. I don't know, Barb. Weird comment. Unnecessary. Oh, no. Yeah. Do you know what an orgy is? Probably not. Definitely not. No. Didn't look that up beforehand. Wow. Making wow. off-the-cuff comments about orgies. Wow. What kind of journalism is this? Honestly, Barb. <laughs> uh, I like the way Steve opens the door to the party. He's very, like, young Tom Cruise here. Yes. I love very it. Very dapper. Very dapper. What does he say? Hello, ladies, or yeah, something. Something like that. Um, so Hopper wakes up with a lady friend, and he ponders whether he is cursed. And I love how we get the intro to the shot with the clothes all over the floor mm-hmm. with, I think it's Raise a Little Hell that's playing in the background. Um, and I think, and uh, it, it looks like it's actually like the party with Steve and everybody, but then it's revealed yes. the topper. I love it. Yes. Raise a Little Hell starts playing when Steve opens the door yes. and then it fades out when it pans onto the scene of Hopper's trailer. Yes. I love it. Yeah. That's what it is. It's a fun shot. So back at the Wheeler's basement, Elle explains to the boys that Will is hiding. Using an upside down D board and a figurine of a cleric and a demogorgon, she shows that Will is hiding from a monster. Again, how does Elle know that Will is hiding? Yeah, like, can she sense him? Like, what is it? That's what I don't understand. And I mean, we do get her fiddling with the walkie-talkie a lot. So I wonder if she somehow channeled into him already and she just doesn't reveal that to the boys until later because she does kind of do it on demand. Yeah. So maybe she's been fiddling with this walkie-talkie, listening to this boy sing, should I stay or should I go (laughs) in the upside down and just assumes that it's got to be Will because what other boy would be doing that? But this whole thing of Elle knowing about Will and where he is and what he's doing and what he looks like. Yeah, it's why it's, and how. I feel like it's never explained. No, and I think we just accept it as viewers because we see L as an sort of like an all-knowingy type of character where she's got these powers. Yeah. But her powers, as far as I'm concerned, don't cover this basis of just knowing where Will is. I agree. I know. I think it's kind of strange that we just never get like a explanation for that. No explanation. We get the upside down. Uh, which is yes. from the score. And it's also the first time that they refer to the place as the Upside Down. Um, I just want to like hear it and sing it to you, but I'm not going to sing you the song yeah, <laughs> it's, from Stranger Things. It's just since. <laughs> no, no, I'm not going to. No, it's okay. I was about to. I'm like really tempted, but I'm not going to. Just, just go listen. Yeah, go listen. <laughs> it's it's so good. It's so iconic. Um, And then Lucas with the continued, like the weirdo shit. What is, what's the weirdo doing? Shut up. Okay, but. <laughs> In Lucas's defense, this is my official um, proof that Elle is the weirdo on Maple Street. Yeah. No, she is. For sure. Okay. I, I had doubts. Yeah. But she is. No. Because Mike lives on Maple Street. Yes. And Elle is weird and she is on Maple Street. Yes. Yeah. Which, uh, we didn't mention this, but um, I did look it up and... 
the title, The Weirdo on Maple Street, is an is an intentional nod by the Duffer Brothers um, for kind of like two kind of like these iconic '80s things, um, like just yeah, horror no, movies no, and stuff. Yeah, uh, um, yeah. So yeah, Elle is definitely the Weirdo on Maple Street, uh, and Lucas continues to refer to her as such. And how does how does Elle how does Elle know that Will is even alive? Yeah, I don't know. Like what. I don't I, I'm wondering if it has to do with like the uh remember in like season four Dustin <clears> refers <throat> to how Vecna kills and he says that he creates a powerful psychic connection with his victims. I wonder if it has to yeah. do with having a powerful psychic connection to the upside down. Sure. Maybe she can sense another energy there. Yeah. Because she is the one who opened the gate. Right. So I wonder if it's because she has a psychic connection with... Oh, no, 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 it is. She has a psychic connection with the Demogorgon because she touched him, which opened the gate, um, which is how Vecna made gates by, well, making contact, not... Well, he did kill, but Elle didn't kill the Demogorgon. I don't know. I don't know. The Demogorgon and Elle are like like on comms. They're like, hey, I got this boy here. And Elle's like, all right, good to know. I got boys looking for the boy. Is that what we're... Yes. Okay. (laughs) Thanks. Yep, that's what they're doing. Um, so in a continued search for Will, Jonathan ventures into the woods with his camera. He hears a scream and runs towards it for some godforsaken reason. And he only finds the attendees of Steve's house party jumping in the pool in Indiana in November and shotgunning beers. All right. First things first, Jonathan is literally just snapping pictures of twigs. <laughs> I know. What are these pictures? I don't know. And then the Duffer Brothers puts them on the screen like there's some significant photo and it's like a tire. It reminds me of this really bad computer game I played once. I'm a big fan of the show Lost and there's a Lost uh, computer game called Via Domus and it is so incredibly bad. And the the main protagonist in the game is uh, a character that doesn't actually exist in Lost and he's a photographer and you have to like take pictures of stuff and if the pictures come out bad, he's like... I can't remember anything. And then, like, he just says all these terrible catchphrases. And then when you get the right picture, he says, that's why they pay me the big bucks. And, like, when the pictures come up on the screen, that's what it reminds me of. (laughs) Like, there's nothing in this photo. No, it's just leaves and twigs and and a tire. And it seems like he's taking, like, like forensic photos of of something. And it's just twigs. And there's like Leaves. the the sound effect Tire. of like like the flash bulb Snapping. like so yeah so intense so, and it's just nothing. Twigs. It's just it's just nothing. So we get um, photos. The pool is heated. The okay yeah the pool is heated. You're right, but it's got to be freezing when you get out. Oh yeah, she had to go upstairs and get warm. She was real cold. Um, photos in the woods from the score mm-hmm. plays here, and photos in the woods is actually like really ambient um, sounding, but it was one of the first songs that I heard off of the score where I was like, ooh, I should listen to the score. Like, it sounds really interesting. And it is. Um, <laughs> yeah. Go listen to it. Why is Barb here? I just, I can't figure out why she's here. Honestly, I can't. What do you mean? She's she's supporting her friend. This is so weird. Think about this. Think about this. And I, and I mentioned this later, but think about this. We were that age. Yeah. Legit, right? And we were. I yes. feel like... We were in actual life. We were at, younger at some than point, we are right now. We were. <laughs> we are not Benjamin Button. We are not. I just feel like she's just trying to be there for Nancy, and she's just really trying to not abandon her friend. That's my interpretation of why she's there. Yeah, and like Plus, Nancy is probably nervous. 
I mean, yeah, Nancy clearly, like, she asked Barb a lot of times to be there. But I also couldn't figure out if it was because she felt sorry for her or if because she really wanted her there. Mm, interesting. Well, we can't forget, too, that this is the scene where she cut, where Barb cuts herself. Oh, so this yes. is like a very, with the, with the, with the thing from shock, from opening the beer. Yeah. Also, Nancy, like, really peer pressures Barb into doing this. Yeah, she does. Like, Barb is saying no over and over again. And Nancy's like, no, try it, try it, try it. Peer pressure is so if you're if you're at that stage in your life, it doesn't feel as obvious as it is. But watching it back and looking at it, it's like, all right, calm down. Like, <laughs> she doesn't want to. Yeah, like, leave her alone. None what of is business. in Steve's flask? Steve Steve has a flask. Yeah, he opens a flask oh, and drinks I from the flask. That. Yeah, I want to know what's in his flask. Yeah, yeah. What what hard liquor does Steve drink? That's what we want to know. Vodka. Ugh. Um, Carol is wearing white pants and it is past Labor Day. So good for her. (laughs) (laughs) A rebel. (laughs) An absolute rebel. Honestly, I think that that rule is trash anyway. So I, this is the one thing I can appreciate Carol for. Okay. She is a fashion rebel. Fashion icon. So back at the buyer's house, Joyce receives another phone call. This time she hears Will's voice say, mom, the lights flicker. And the phone shocks Joyce again, destroying yet another phone. Uh, Joyce follows the flickering lights to Will's room, where Should I Stay or Should I Go by the Clash starts blasting through the stereo. Suddenly all goes dark and a humanoid figure appears to be bursting through the wall. Joyce runs from the house but bravely goes back in when the music returns and she believes that means Will is close. So to me here... At this point, my interpretation is that Barb has already started to bleed. Bleed? So she's bleeding. Yeah. From the party. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. So Barb is already bleeding at the point that we see the Demogorgon move through Joyce's home. Mm -hmm. And, you know, come through her wall or attempt to. So to me, that speaks a little bit to him being on the prowl like moving towards this scent of blood okay yeah and yeah and it's at this scene too that we see the jaws poster Mm -hmm. in i think it's got to be will's bedroom right yeah and we know sharks are notoriously you know akin to the scent of blood so it just the fact that we already have that barb bled yeah the demogorgon is moving we know i mean i say we know because we again look at map, maps of Hawkins. The Harrington house is closer to the lab than the other houses in town, as is the buyer's home. So we, we assume that Steve and Will live pretty close to each other. Mm-hmm. So this this like Merkwood area where the Demogorgon is chilling because that's where the gate is. He's moving towards Barb at this point. At least in my interpretation, Barb is bleeding and he's at the buyers making his way to the Harringtons because he's finding his blood. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. I didn't really think about that, but that Mm -hmm. is probably exactly what's happening. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned the Jaws poster and it didn't happen yet. But when we see Barb like all sad sitting by the pool and (laughs) that one drop of blood falls into the water. Yes. It's very Jaws. Very. So uh, the key is just in Joyce's car, which I thought was really funny. Like we we couldn't live that way. No, someone would just steal your car. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that, thanks. Anyway, so I thought it was really brave that Joyce just runs back into the house. She does. She, she just goes right back in. Yeah, I know. So cool. Um, good for her. I and I like the um, the nod 
that she says like she really quietly goes will like when the music comes back on (laughs) um so i think that she she kind of understands what's going on here yeah so back at the party gathering whatever you want to call it barb sees nancy going up to steve's room so that she can get some dry clothes on and tries to this isn't you her but nancy tells barb she will be okay and she should just leave Nancy and Steve get hot and heavy in his room, which was apparently furnished by a fire sale on plaid. Yep. Jonathan continues to snap some photos of the party, including some shots of Nancy undressing, questionably, in many ways. He takes (laughs) photos of an emo barb sitting by the pool, nursing a cut on her hand when suddenly a figure appears behind her and she vanishes. So The fact that Barb asks Nancy, what are you doing? Like, Like, she is going... I'm sorry. I'm- Steve Harrington just asked you to go up to his bedroom and put new clothes. Who is saying no to that? She she is going Not me. to get. Yeah. 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 <laughs> she is. <laughs> I don't want to talk about high schoolers in this vein. No. She she is going. She is going. She she sure is. And good for her. I I posed Barb. this this I posed this question last night to uh, my fiance and his brother, and I said if Steve Harrington asks you to come up to his bedroom. <laughs> What are you going to do? And they both oh. said, obviously, say yes. I know that my husband would, would in a heartbeat. Yes, 100%. Who wouldn't? All right, we're bad. Enough. Anyway. High school students. So sorry. I need to know. I tried Googling this several times, but I couldn't find anything. Who is the hottie in the bikini on the poster in Steve's bedroom? I don't know. I noticed that as well. Yeah, I tried And to it would make me Google. very insecure as Nancy if I saw that. Because right? then I would be like, am I your type? Because I don't look like that girl. No. You also, know? I kind of had a little bit of a laugh when Nancy takes off her shirt and Steve goes, damn. Damn what? <laughs> oh, come on. Leave no. Nancy alone. She's so cute. Like she's, But that's what it is. Like She's so cute. Like I can't think of her in a damn i know yeah it's hard to it's hard to to sexualize her i think yeah in that moment right she's just like that steve does so sweet and innocent looking and he's like damn like what maybe he likes that he does i guess yeah yeah oh i mean she is very different from the amy's and the becky's and true and the lady on the wall behind her hottie in the bikini also this is our first Real glimpse of uh, the Demogorgon, like, opening its face. We see the flower Yes, head. we see the flower face. We do. We do. So that is the last scene in this episode. So I want to point out that this episode chapter starts and ends with the concept of privacy. Because you have Elle in that very first scene just going to take off her oh. hospital gown. And all the boys are like, whoa, whoa 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 stop that and then in this scene with nancy at the end with steve she goes to undress and she first says like steve like turn around and he's like oh okay and he goes to give her privacy and then you know she calls her attention she calls his attention back to her and you also have jonathan completely invading their privacy taking photos so it's just it was really interesting to me that i noticed that this first scene you have this privacy problem and then the very last scene you have the privacy problem and in the middle of the episode you have them spying on joyce's phone call yes. so there's just a whole privacy problem happening in this in this chapter wow yeah that's that's a really strong theme of privacy i did not yeah. even like notice Big privacy that. problem yeah wow okay that's cool yeah okay so do we want to talk mvp lvp yeah let's do mvp lvp okay so this was hard for me i had a a, i had a tie this one but i think i'm gonna go with mike okay um mostly because his sympathy and patience for l in this episode is mvp material i agree yeah he never makes her feel judged 
He never makes her feel out of place, despite being incredibly out of place. <laughs> and I already mentioned that we get a little bit of their love languages in this episode. So we get him bringing her the food, the waffle and the meatloaf. It's like very gift giving acts of service. And then mm. we also get her need to be validated and assured. And that's a little bit words of affirmation to me. So oh. I really think Mike is my MVP in this chapter. I, I like that. I almost chose Mike, but I chose Mike last time. So I went this time with Joyce. Ooh. Yeah, Joyce uh, is MVP for me this episode because she knows what she saw. She's sticking to her guns. She knows what she heard. And this whole entire show, in my opinion, and maybe in reality, would be nothing without mother's intuition and women's intuition taking over. Good call. Yes. Like, over and over, we see that the women of the show need to be believed and trusted for things to move forward. Yes. Especially Nancy. Yes. Yes. Big time. All right. I like that one. That's a good one. LVP, who did you choose? So I have a tie between Callahan and Powell because I think <laughs> I hate them after this chapter. I never felt this strongly about them, but I think I just, they have so many unnecessary and hurtful and plain ignorant remarks throughout this entire chapter. Hopper constantly has to just look at them and be like, really, assholes? Like, that's your contribution to the situation? And they don't they don't contribute anything constructive. Can you think, I mean, besides, no, I can't think of anything. No, pretty much Some nothing. comic relief, which is just, like, poor taste. Like, yeah. your their comedy is, they're shitty people. Yeah. In the show, in the context of the show, it's comedic because they're just so horrible. But, like, in real life, if you were, like, in that situation, you would be like, what the hell is wrong with you? dumb yeah dumb dumb man i agree my lvp and i'm i'm really sorry about this one but i'm saying it anyway it's barb my lvp is barb she was my other tie for mvp but go ahead (laughs) i'm gonna i'm gonna just i'm gonna go off on a barb tangent for a minute all right barb tangent she's a wet blanket okay and she doesn't want her friend to explore and try different things and she's holding her back and listen she didn't deserve to die But you need to let your friend live her life. You don't own her, okay? If she wants to go and have sex, then she is allowed to do that. She is in charge of her own body and her own life. It is not your job to make her not do that. I agree. And and that's my rant. I think you're right. I don't, I think, I just think it's, it's, it's a beautiful irony how had Nancy actually heeded her advice and not gone upstairs, Barb just simply wouldn't have died. Yeah. Which is, honestly, that just, like, makes me feel bad for Nancy. Yeah. (laughs) It is a Nancy problem, a survivor's guilt problem. Yeah. It's pretty sad. Um, And, like, obviously, we're going to get into those feelings that Nancy has in season two, and they continue on. So, but, yeah, that's that's my LVP. So sorry. Solid. (laughs) All right. So, music? We talked a lot about the music throughout the actual, throughout our conversation. We did. But yeah, here's we talked some, about Lazy Boy and stuff. Yeah. Here's some here's some quick standouts from the soundtrack. Um, so we had Should I Stay or Should I Go, obviously, by The Clash. Um, we had Melt With You by Modern English, which is when Steve and all the other teens are jumping in the pool. Very iconic scene. And Hazy Shade of Winter by The Bangles at the end. Um, that song plays during the end credits. It's pretty iconic. Yeah, that is. It's a good, it's a good uh, moment. And then some standouts from the score, uh, Eleven, when Mike and Elle are introducing themselves, we get that little Eleven theme, and it's so sweet. Yeah. Ugh, it's so I can so hear cute. it. I know. Um, Lazy Boy, like we mentioned, which is such a fun um, little bouncy synth tune. 
something in the wall. So I actually thought that this moment was lights out from the um, score, but it's something in the wall, which is when the Demogorgon starts coming through the wall um, at Joyce. I always thought that was lights out, but it is not. And as we mentioned, Upside Down is in this one, which is such a great theme when Elle flips the D&D board. Mm-hmm. It's also boingy. It is. It's very boingy. It's boingy. Boingy and squelchy. <laughs> and springy. And springy. springy. <laughs> you know. So, shall we get into our last segment for the episode, Wrong Answers yes. Only? Yes. Um, I have a question. Please tell me. And you already know my question. I do, but please ask it again. I want to know, in the scene when the Hawkins personnel are investigating the buyer's home and Mm -hmm. they go into the shed with their scanners what are the scanners scanning so what they're holding are actually metal detectors what we don't know about demogorgons is that they are actually very much like crows um they really love shiny things so oh yeah, I know. It's really cute. So you could actually make a Demogorgon friend just like you can make a crow friend by leaving offerings of shiny things outside. And the, the Gorgo will just come pick it up. Um, keep <laughs> the it, what? The, the Gorgo. <laughs> okay. He'll come pick the it up. The Gorgo. Keep it in his Mr. collection. Gorgon. That's Mr. Gorgon. <laughs> Gordon, if you will. He'll he'll keep it in his collection, in his little nest. And that's how you find a Demogorgon nest uh, is by using <laughs> a metal detector. That's really helpful because mm-hmm. I was wondering, you know, how Demogorgons kept their home. So it's good to know that they nest. They have great taste, too. Okay. So they're not like a cave-dwelling creature. They are mm-hmm. a, a nest-building creature. What do they build their nests out of? Um, bones, mostly. Okay. Of little people, boy bones. People that they've eaten. <laughs> okay. All right. Good. Yeah. Perfect. But it's really, it's very ornate, very tasteful when you go into a Demogorgon home. Lots of shiny things. Okay, so what you're telling me is that the scanners are actually metal detectors, and the reason that they're able to use this device to track this Demogorgon is because they are fond of shiny things, and shiny things are usually metal. Yeah, and the good news is if you ever want to attract your own Demogorgon to have as a friend, you don't need to make yourself bleed anymore. You can can set a trap of shiny things. Yep, just put out some tinfoil, they'll come. Okay, all right, I'm going to try that. Yeah, try that. Later. (laughs) All right, so I have a question, too. Um, I would like a a step-by-step account of how exactly Will was making a phone call from the Upside Down. How was he communicating through that phone? Please explain. See, it's interesting that you ask this question because I I actually have, like, I I have thought that myself, and I've come up with an answer. Oh, I'm excited. So because the Upside Down is something of a, tra- a time-traveling dimension, mm-hmm. right? There is actually modern technology in the Upside Down. Mm. And Will, at this point, has a phone. He has an iPhone. <laughs> okay. And he has his own number. So he's able to use his iPhone to call his home phone from the Upside Down. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, he's not actually interacting with the phone in his home, in the Upside Down, he's calling from his own phone because, you know, Clockmaster Henry is mm-hmm. in charge of this apparent dimension 
And there's already iPhones in the Upside Down. So Will is just using the modern technology at his disposal. So he's just like chilling in Castle Byers, like calling the house phone on his cell phone. Yeah. Cool. That's what he's doing. Good for him. I hope he took pictures in the Upside Down, too. That would be handy. Do you think his location services are on? You know, this brings me to just like what this episode would actually look like if it was 2022. Yeah. Tell us. And I have, I have, I have four things. Okay. So call tracing would not have been an issue. No, it would not. Back well, to that whole thing. Who called? It, it, it wouldn't have been an issue in theory, but would they have been able to trace a call to the upside down? That's I the real question. I didn't get that far with this thought. Yeah, okay. I'm just posing questions. That's the real question. <laughs> um, I think you actually wrote this. Jonathan's creepy photos would have been on an iPhone. Mm-hmm. They would not have been on a camera. Well, developed. they might have been on a camera, but I'm I'm guessing he would have like a DSLR camera. Sure. Uh, and so he wouldn't have had to develop the photos. Right. So no one would have seen his creepy photos. No, not a single soul. Nope. Just him. Um, and speaking of location services, do you think Mike would have needed to show Elle how to turn off location services? Like, would you like to stop sharing your location with Papa? Like <laughs> from what device? It's she just, has an iPhone. Oh, she it's has 2022. She has an iPhone. They, ha- they let her have that in the lab? We didn't need the... Soteria? Semolina? Soteria. Sp- sp- yeah. Sativa. Sativa thing. <laughs> she, Papa gave all the children iPhones and just had location services turned on. So oh. when Elle escaped, we would have needed to turn off location services. Also, yes. she would have been connected to the Wheeler's Wi-Fi, and Karen would have known there was another device on their Wi-Fi, and she would have been like, who is this person on my Wi-Fi? Oh... Karen, Karen it can be pretty perceptive, so I could see that. Yes. Okay. Those are my questions. Yeah, I like it. These are good questions. I also had one more to add to that. Uh, when Hopper is interviewing Benny's friend about the little boy, quote unquote, that he saw in Benny's restaurant, the friend might have snapped a photo on his phone. Yes. Uh, yeah. If it was 2022. So he could have shown Hopper and then denied. Hopper would have realized that is not Will, but nope. He might need to be looking for another child. Yes. I like that one. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's, that's it for this episode, huh? I think so too. All right. Well, all right. Well, in the know, meantime, stay strange. Stay strange. <laughs> to keep in touch and stay informed about upcoming Starcourt Study Hall episodes, follow us on Twitter at SSHPod and on Instagram at Starcourt Study Hall. 